0: Whosoever believeth on him shall not be confounded. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. The second category of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ we want to consider for just a few minutes. Which deserve much more. Are the non-physical and less obvious aspects of his crucifixion. Those personal pains and troubles, fear and shame that he experienced on the cross, as we just sang in that song, that there was more than the physical pain of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we read in Psalm 22, there was more than just the physical pain. There are many of these. I want you to remember that from Psalm 22, being naked... And having people stop and stare at him bothered him, just like it would bother you. He said so. They stare and look upon me. So we want to think about non-physical aspects. In the natural realm, pertaining to his natural existence as the Son of God and Son of Man. He was tortured in his soul With the knowledge of what was coming. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't like soldiers going off to battle. Soldiers going off to battle have a measure of fear, but that fear is mitigated to some measure by the fact that I'm going to help the other poor soldier lay down his life for his country rather than me lay down my life for my country. They don't go into battle planning on dying. The Lord Jesus Christ went into battle for you and me, knowing every bit of his death and the torture leading up to it. That is a significant difference. When a soldier dives on a grenade and lays down his life painlessly for a fellow soldier, sometimes it's painlessly because it's over in one second, he does so by instinct from extensive training. The Lord Jesus Christ was not reacting instinctively during the 12 hours of his torture and crucifixion. He not only endured it for that period of time, but he knew about it his whole life. And he set his face as it were to go to Jerusalem because he purposed to drink that cup for you and me. He was neglected by his disciples and their general ignorance of Judas Iscariot, and the lack of any comfort that they gave him about the treachery that was coming. I just want you to think about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ knew about Judas betraying him, the entirety of Judas being his disciple and before. Jesus chose Judas as a devil. And no one ever comforted him about what was coming But every time that man kissed him, or embraced him, or handed him food, or called him friend, Jesus Christ knew what was coming. Do you understand the heartache, and the pain, and the grief? The Bible tells us he hath put him to grief for us. And have we ever been a Judas Iscariot to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, we have. And he suffered that for us, and we cannot forget it today. His disciples slept. Instead of responding to his requests for alertness and prayer. Did Jesus say, watch and pray? Did he say it a second time? Did he say it a third time? Had he told them that night that he was to be betrayed into the hands of wicked men? And they still slept? What if all your friends disappeared when you needed them most? This is after Peter had grandly promised him that he would remain faithful even unto death. One of his closest friends, we're talking about Judas again, betrayed him with a kiss for a mere 30 pieces of silver. When was the word of God made flesh worth only Joseph, a captive shepherd slave down in Egypt? His disciples forsook him and left him alone and defenseless with an angry mob in the middle of Gethsemane. Don't you want your friends to stand and fight? Doesn't the Bible say a brother is born for adversity? Why did they run when there was the first sign of adversity? He was ridiculed and mocked and tortured about his true identity with clear evidence available through his life. He had healed every manner of disease and all those brought to him. Not a single one was turned away as being too difficult for him. He had raised the dead He had calmed stormy seas where there was great storms, and he had fed 5,000, not counting women and children, with a little boy's lunch. And yet his true identity was ridiculed and mocked. He was unappreciated for the incredible amount of good he had done the entirety of his three and a half years of public ministry. He was disowned by a dear friend because a little maid questioned that dear friend. This is Peter who denied him three times with oaths and cursing. He was humiliated with nakedness, which I've referred to from Psalm 22. With mock titles, with a purple robe, with a crown of thorns, and with railing on him that if he was a king, then show him, show them. He was a king. He was God. He was the son of God. He's the high king of heaven. He's the Lord of Lords. He was the blessed and only potentate. Even the wicked devils knew that he was the Holy One of God and would fall down and worship and say, Art thou come to torment us before our time? But he was humiliated by wicked men. He was sarcastically mocked as a king, though he was a king. Though they gave him the title and a sign over him on the cross. Though they put a purple robe on him. Though they put a crown though it be of thorns on his head. And though they robed him, they were mocking him. He was dared by wicked and presumptuous men to prophesy who had just hit him in the face. Roman soldiers blindfolded him and smashed him in the face and said, if you're the son of God, tell us who just hit you. Ha, ha, ha. Those angels are obedient, aren't they? I don't know if I'd have been so obedient to stand by, and I know all of you are thinking that with me. Did he know those wicked men? Could he have given them their first name, last name, mother's hometown, and where they were going to spend eternity? He was tempted to revenge with twelve legions of angels when a sword was drawn to protect him. He said, put that away. Don't you know that right now I could ask for twelve legions of angels? That's 72,000. A legion was 6,000. We sing 10,000. We don't do this story justice. You ought to read about how big a legion was and all of the support troops that went with it. Twelve? Can I, don't you think that I can ask right now for twelve legions of angels? How many angels would it have taken to deliver him? One. Would that have tempted you to say, I'll do this another time. I'd like to see what happens when their fists go up against an angel. He was rejected by his own nation who screamed for a Roman oppressor to torture him. He was sacrificed in order to free Barabbas, a proven and convicted murderer and seditioner. He was ridiculed as an imposter that could not possibly be known or helped by God. He was slandered by many false witnesses called against him to lie rather than to hear his truth. He was despised with spit in his face though he sent his son and rain and fruitful seasons upon every one of those that spit on him. He was humiliated by two previous enemies, Pilate and Herod, becoming friends while unjustly condemning him to crucifixion. He was deserted by the governor. Many of these things were read to us in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, and only the perceptive. And those who take the time to meditate in those passages can appreciate he was taken from prison. He shouldn't have come out of prison until there was going to be a real trial with fairness and justice. He was deserted by a governor that knew he was innocent. And the Jews merely envious. He knew why Jesus was there out of their envy. And he didn't deliver. And that is the purpose of government. He was deserted when he needed the judge to rule in his behavior. Have, most of you have never been on trial. Most of us have never been on trial. We do not know what it is like to have bodies of evidence against us and for us, and then to either look at a jury or to look at a judge and know that righteousness is going to prevail. Because it didn't prevail. It didn't prevail so that we could be made righteous. Righteous. Isn't that the most amazing, amazing love? How can it be? He was tempted to accept a sedative offered before the cross, but he instead drank deeply all the dregs of God's cup. He was railed on by the two thieves who were crucified at his side, who deserved exactly what they were getting. He was ignored and not rescued, though there was darkness over all the land for three hours. Don't you think that somebody would have said, Hello? and rescued him? No one rescued him. He was shamed and tortured and suffered to to suffer and die naked before his women, friends, mother, and all those who gaped on him. They didn't. They were there out of affection for him. He was humiliated by being crucified between those two common thieves, though being Lord of all. He was suffering for those not who loved him, but were rather his enemies that hated him, according to Romans 5.8 that was read to us. No man has suffered such non-physical pain and suffering in such a short period of time. Never. Men have suffered the physical pain or more that Jesus suffered, but not the non-physical. What man has had more friends and been treated more unjustly than the Lord Jesus Christ was. And when you read Psalm 22 and you read Isaiah 53 and some of the other prophecies, you see that it is these non-physical aspects of his suffering that were very real to him. And today is to honor him, to show forth the Lord's death till he comes for us. The shooting out of the lip and the scorning and mocking him and the bulls of Bashan gaping on him with their mouths, Remember, it's the words that were hurtful at another level. For he who had come to be the deliverer of their nation and the elect within it by healing all manner and doing good his entire ministry. And yet, they put him to death. And it pleased the Lord to have him put to death that way for our redemption. Read hymn books number
1: 247, please. Oh,
0: Another conflict took place at the cross that's been mentioned to you today and to me that is beyond our sight, and it was worse than anything so far. It was the battle of, the, of Satan himself and the devils of hell against the Lord Jesus Christ to overthrow him in his faith right. and obedience to God by going to the cross. We are ignorant of the great conflict between spirits in high places if it weren't for the Bible. If it weren't for the Bible telling us that the devil fought with Michael the archangel for the body of Moses, we wouldn't know that such things take place. If it weren't for the Bible telling us that the Spirit led Jesus after his baptism into the desert to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights by the devil, we would not know about it. If it weren't for the Bible telling us that behind the Greek and the Persian empires were devilish spirits motivating them and empowering them, we wouldn't know about it. We do not respect Satan enough in the sense that when God releases him, look what he can do to a man like Job. Those messengers came successively upon each other with natural, with natural events, storms, with nations raised against him, the Saracens, the Sabians, that came and destroyed some of his property and children, and so forth, all caused by the devil that fast. That's beyond our sight. Everything so far is what we could see. I want to remind you that the Bible tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And if anyone ever had to go into that wrestling match, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the dog of Psalm 22. That was the lion of Psalm 22. Satan's demonic host is the most unified and efficient hostile force in the universe. Jesus said, if Satan's kingdom were divided, how could it stand? And it stands. Animosity and conflict between Satan and Jesus was prophesied from Genesis chapter 3, that the woman and her seed would be against the devil and his seed. Recall the subtle, the arrogant, the malicious attempts to tempt Jesus to sin in the desert after his baptism. After Jesus endured that temptation, those three temptations, I should say, by saying it is written to each one of them and answering with the word of God, it tells us that Satan left Jesus for a season. Somebody said that. I commend you. After the temptation in the wilderness. Look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 53. Luke 22 and verse 53. Jesus said, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit of darkness that rules in this world, was given authority and power against the Lord Jesus Christ like he hadn't been. I want you to think upon this part of your Lord's suffering for you. John chapter 14 and verse 30 puts it this way. After the Last Supper, on the way to Gethsemane, Jesus said in John fourteen thirty, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh And hath nothing in me. There was no vested interest in the Lord Jesus Christ doing the will of God in the devil. There was nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ the devil could use against him. But the devil was going to hurl every bit of his power against the Lord Jesus Christ as he went to the cross. It was the time for Satan to be cast out. And yes, the devil knows when he's got a little time left. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 12. Does it bring him to a place of repentance? No, it brings him to greater fury and effort. Satan is filled with such malicious hatred for Jesus Christ, regardless of his future. Think about this, brethren. As the elect angels cannot believe that Jesus would die to save men, the devil cannot believe that the Savior of men is a man. The seed of the woman is his conqueror. Praise God. We're going to get too excited. Can we get too excited? No, we want to remember his death till he comes. But what a glorious Savior we have. We are talking about a battle going on right now out of the eyes of the centurion who was to stand guard and make sure that crucifixion took place according to Roman order. But there was a battle going on that was far above him between the lord jesus christ and the powers of darkness he knew that jesus christ was manifested to destroy him and his work if we have to wrestle with against spiritual wickedness in high places what about the lord jesus christ when he says deliver my darling from the power of the dog we should understand that a dog was trying to devour his soul his darling when he prays in Psalm 22, Save me from the lion's mouth, you think about Satan as First Peter 5.8 describes him walking about seeking whom he may devour. He was strengthened in the garden of Gethsemane by an angel that came to strengthen him because there was a battle going on in spiritual places outside of our sight. And the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be subject to the force of the devil upheld by the word of God, but not comforted by his father. And he won the victory for us. The Bible tells us that he made an open show of the devil at the cross of Calvary. Colossians chapter 2. Those devils had no pity. They did not consider him. They did not comfort him. They tortured him in every way that they could to overthrow his faith. If they could just get him to curse God, they've been able to do that to you. If they could just get him to beg for mercy, wouldn't you have? To quit, to be afraid, to ask for help, to use his strength to deliver himself, to violate a scriptural promise, to retaliate against his persecutors, to ask his persecutors for help, to speak against the elect, because we were his enemies, but he was dying for our sins. If the devils could only have gotten him to do that, but they couldn't get him to do that. Brethren, when we come to this third category of suffering, no man has ever even imagined, let alone endured such a spiritual conflict for the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you heard Psalm 22, he spoke of it for God not to be far from him because he was in trouble to deliver his soul from the power of the dog. May you never forget that while he shed his blood and his body was broken, there were non-personal things that affected him and humiliated him, the ridicule and the scorn of his trial. But there was a whole other level of a spiritual warfare taking place. And brethren, we can go forward knowing that our Savior endured all those things and destroyed the devil and his works. And you can call upon his name when the Apostle Paul could stand up in the book of Acts and say, I adjure thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her, how long did it take? He came out of her. Because Jesus had won the victory. Right. Right. Burgundy Hymn Books, will sing number 355. Beneath the sacred throne of God I saw a river rise. It's number 355. song was written by John Kent, not Thomas Ken. The book's in error. The shipbuilder from England that we studied a year ago or so. My brethren, we now come to the capstone of his suffering. The highest level of suffering that he endured was of a spiritual sort. I don't mean the devilish sort that I just described to you moments ago, but the spiritual one of becoming sin for us, and God, his Father, forsaking him. Here we see Paul saying without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. The God-man could suffer physical death by having a physical body. But he had such a close relationship to God his entire life. Remember, God had... With delight thundered from heaven at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Could the Lord Jesus Christ embark on his public ministry with God the Father publicly announcing that this is my beloved Son? That during his ministry, when the apostles were a little confused about what was important and what wasn't, he took his trusted three up on the Mount of Transfiguration and again the Lord said, This is my Son, hear ye Him. And so constantly confirming the Lord Jesus Christ as His Son, but on the cross of Calvary, turning His back on His beloved Son as our sins were put upon Him and He had to die for sin. And He did die for sin in His flesh. Jesus had a human spirit subject to all our temptations Yet loving God and God's holiness so much, he had never sinned. But now he was made sin for us. The one who had been repulsed by ever sinning now had all of yours on him and all of mine. Remember clearly that no one has ever had a relationship with God like Jesus of Nazareth did. For you to think of God forsaking you as a small change relative to what it was like for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had always pleased His Father. He was one with the Father. I and the Father are one. He was so much in unity with the Father. Just read John chapter 17. And the Lord Jesus Christ prayed that just before going to the cross. Many, many martyrs have died more painful deaths Pulled apart on racks. Starved. Burned in slow flames with green wood. Singing and praising God. But do you know what we find coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Roaring. Roaring. Because the comforting, fellowship, friendship, acceptance, favor, and the smiling countenance of God was no longer shining upon him, but he was forsaken. And so it's described as roaring, where the noise that comes out of you is more like a beast than a man. It's more just a groan than it is audible words. It pleased his heavenly Father to bruise him. The one that had been his delight, and the one he delighted to please, was now pleased to bruise him, and to wound him, and to put him to grief. And to forsake him, like the Bible tells us, our iniquity was laid on him. He became, in some measure, to his own soul, and before God, guilty, fearful, lonely, and condemned in our place. All the things that we should have felt and known for eternity ourselves, he felt for the first and only time in his life. You've been guilty your whole life. I've been guilty my whole life in varying degrees. It's no shock to all of a sudden feel guilty again. It was a shock to him. He suffered these things in infinite quantity and quality, though for a finite period of time in his separation from God. He suffered the equivalent of an eternity in hell for all the elect in a few hours because God is just. God cannot acquit. God cannot clear. And God poured out his wrath on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think of what did Jesus do for me, there's the physical component that we remember with the bread and the wine, his broken body and his shed blood. But there are the non-physical aspects of the ridicule and the humiliation and the shame and the taunting and the tempting of the cross. And there's the spiritual warfare against the devil the dog and the lion described in Psalm 22, and then there was his father forsaking him. But I want to show you, the captain of your salvation. The words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, are at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. Shortly thereafter, after saying a couple of other things that we had read to us, He could say by faith, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Is that faith? The martyrs, let's take Stephen for an example. And the martyrs that have died after him may not have seen something visible, but they had it in their hearts because God supplied the grace for them at the time of their death. But the Lord Jesus Christ was forsaken by his God. Stephen said, as he lifted up his eyes to heaven, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of power. Would that have encouraged you to say, Forgive them, Father. Hold not this sin to their charge. But the Lord Jesus Christ had God forsaken him. He was roaring, but in his faith he could say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Do you know that by faith he knew where he was going to be that day, though God had forsaken him? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I don't have faith like that, but God, give me faith a little bit like that. Because just a little bit of the Savior's faith is great faith. What a Savior we have. What a Savior we have. And this is the way that we remember him. This is what he asked Will you be a fool for Jesus' sake? Is he worthy of you communing with him at his table? Will you sit down with him and have a little wine and a little bread and a little bit of fellowship with him? This is what he's chosen for us. You don't need any additional thoughts. We're going to sing one hymn, and we're going to go to the table and celebrate the Lord's death with him. He invites us to come. It's his table. It's his supper the wine represents His blood. The bread represents His body. This is what He's done for you so that your heart can live forever. Amen. Amen. Red Hymn Books, please, is number 427. The tune we know is when I survey the Wonders Cross and the words are, are new to us. 427 in our Red Hymn Books. Uh.